Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Ball Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Chris LaSpada. Welcome, listeners. This is Jeff Brown, the Ball Guy, and today we're going to have another podcast with one of our elite tax experts, Chris LaSpada. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm in San Diego. It's always good. <laughs> I can imagine. So today, let's talk capital gains taxes on the sale of real estate. And Chris, would you please explain for listeners, just to kind of get the ball rolling, exactly what is adjusted cost basis? Sure. Uh, adjusted cost basis is basically the cost of the asset after various adjustments. And what what is the formula for figuring that adjusted cost basis out on a specific property. Right. So then those various adjustments, so it usually ends up typically for your adjusted cost basis that you'd have your original purchase price plus your settlement cost plus additional renovations, uh, rehab expenses, and you would subtract that by the depreciation allowed on those items. Depreciation is allowed or allowable, so it's important to uh, take the depreciation on that even though you may not get a current tax benefit for it because the current law says allowed or allowable, which could mean that if you didn't take it, you would still have to reduce it by what you should have taken to get to adjusted cost basis. So to recap, you pay a specified amount for the property you have some closing costs that can be added on to that figure. Correct. You have a holding period, which over the years amasses a specific amount of depreciation dollars taken against Correct. that property. That depreciation is subtracted from that cost basis. Correct. And then what about when you sell the property, are the costs of selling that property then put into that formula too? Right. That would also be a reduction. So any selling expenses would be a reduction of the cost basis. Gotcha. So I mean, I'm really surprised that the, the cost to sell it would be additional basis, whether it's settlement costs at the beginning or settlement costs at the end or improvements, all that gets added to the original purchase price less the depreciation taken while you had the property. And to make sure there's no misunderstanding what we're saying, Chris, when you talk about rehab expenses or improvements, you're talking about, to be formal about it, capital improvements to the building, are you not? Correct. Uh, a lot of people think that they can have expenses once they do it to fix it up and make it work, and that's not the case. No, I mean, especially if you're able to somehow deduct an expense as a repair and maintenance during the period of ownership, you obviously would not double count that and add that back on to the end. Right, exactly, exactly. Most investors believe that the capital gains rate is 15%. Uh, however, we know some folks pay a much higher rate. Would you elaborate on that for us? Sure. Uh, the first thing is any depreciation taken on the property is recaptured at a 25% rate. That's always a factor that some non-savvy investors probably might not be aware of, that 
it's a different rate for depreciation recapture. The other thing to keep in mind is there's actually three capital gain tax rates. Well, four, but one of them is for collectibles, and we're not really talking about that here. But the, the three rates are 0%, 15%, and 20%. And 20% capital gains is when you're in the top 39.6 tax bracket. The 0% capital gain rate is affected when you're in the 10 or 15% bracket. So you would love to have a 0% capital gain rate, but in order to do that, you would have to be in a 10 to 15% tax bracket. Otherwise, you fall into the 15% capital gain rate. And what gets you to a higher than 15% capital gain rate? Being in the top bracket will get you to a 20% capital gain rate. And this isn't a capital gain rate tax, but you have to remember that once you're over 250 of adjusted gross income, you fall under the Obamacare 3.8% tax on unearned income. Even you could be at the 15% rate and still be subject to another 3.8% tax. That tax would still be there at the 20% rate. And then the other tax that sometimes appears would be the alternative minimum tax, which uh, would, again, make these rates that we're talking about higher than what they're actually stated. Exactly, because the AMT removes some of the deductions, correct? Correct. So you, if you might, you can't just say, oh, it's a 20% rate. I'm going to take my capital gain times 20%. That's not exactly how it would work. You not only have your Obamacare tax of 3.8, but you could have some alternative minimum tax that kicks in. So effectively, which is how we always look at taxes, effectively you could be paying 27, 28% on this gain because if you take everything together. And that's not even counting what state taxes you would incur depending upon where you live or where the property is located. Exactly. Now, I, I've been in the business long enough, Chris. I remember my first tax-deferred exchanges were done in, in a tax environment of 28%. So when it got reduced to 20, much less 15, we were doing the happy dance for a week. Sure. <laughs> I remember when before right. the 20 came back into play with 15%, it was uh, very favorable, and we saw less like-kind exchanges at 15%. I know that. Exactly, exactly. Nothing like motivation. Now, the last question of the day can get tricky, and this is one of those questions that most people just simply don't know to ask, at least in my experience, Chris. And that is, is it possible to have net proceeds totaling a lower amount than the taxes you might actually owe? Uh, uh, in other words, you might get $25,000 from a closing as a closing check from the escrow or title company, but because uh, of the way that was handled while during the, the holding period, your capital gains was actually based on a higher amount. Would you explain how that happens? Sure. It's a good point to remember that you know, the proceeds, the cash proceeds received and the tax liability are independent of each other. So it's not as if, hey, I received this amount of cash, therefore that's based, I can use that number to base what I'm going to pay tax on there. It's just independent of each other. And where you used to see this more often is a building, a property, 
that let's say was bought, let's just say in the 90s and yeah, have 10 to 15 years or 20 years of depreciation taken on it. Uh, there's been improvements. At some points during then and now, it is appreciated in value, maybe overinflated values, but at that time, you could have refinanced that property when it had a higher value. Whether Let's just say 2005, 2006, you're refinancing a building at a higher value. Real estate values drop. You still have that loan obligation. And now you go to try to sell that property where it has not appreciated, and now you could have a situation where your tax liability could actually exceed the cash that you're receiving, and that's only because you had cashed out on that property when you did the refinance. And most of the time, is that accurately described as loan over basis? It can be. I think it's just a matter of when you're looking at the liabilities that you have on the property, even though your adjusted basis is lower because it's been depreciated, I think the and not that you're always recording the market value of the property. I mean, maybe you're keeping track of that just as a as a guide in case you do dispose of it. But, yeah, it, it, I would say that that's a pretty good way of thinking about it is you've kind of I, – I always think of it as you've kind of cashed in on your gain prematurely, and now, you know, it's time to pay up, and you may not have all that cash – available to do so from the proceeds. Exactly. And the only time that the loan over basis would might come back to haunt you, even in a little more extreme way, Chris, would be if you did a tax deferred exchange with that loan over basis situation intact and the IRS audited you and decided that the taxpayer investor did that refi knowing they were going to get tax-free cash out and that they were going to subsequently use a tax-deferred exchange to avoid those very taxes. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh might be a little bit difficult to prove you did that. I mean, typically, I would think that you're seeing this happen more on property that's been held for longer periods of time, and that's only because of the whole real estate Real estate going up, real estate going down. It has, you know, many years of those fluctuations where, you know, it's harder. You don't see many examples of that where you have the property, you go get it refinanced, and then you go try to sell the property within a short amount of time. Uh, it's typically not in that type of situation, but it's, you know, it 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 can happen. I appreciate it. That does it for today, Chris. I really appreciate you uh, passing on your wisdom to the listeners. Thanks, Jeff. Listeners, we'll see you next time. You have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Chris LaSpada.